Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. My name is Kylie Miller and today we are in Vidalia and I have with me Michael Palazzola. Palazzola. Hey, we get to it and I'm going to mess it up, but how are you today, Michael? I'm doing great. Glad We're to be here. So glad you're here. And uh, and since it's your first time on on the podcast, I want you to introduce yourself. So tell us tell us about you. You you've been with us what a year now? About two and a half, almost two, three. Wow, <laughs> time really has flown. COVID has been a long time. I guess COVID <laughs> really has set us back. But anyway, tell us about yourself. So I got my undergraduate and master's degree at LSU in horticulture science. Okay. And then I ended up going to Auburn University to get my doctorate, and I got to specialize in pecans there, which was something I really enjoyed. And then I've gotten to use it now that I'm the state point of contact for pecans in Mm -hmm. Louisiana. Mm -hmm. But I really got started in horticulture with ornamentals with my grandparents. So with camellias in particular, we would go to the different camellia shows. And then from there, I ended up being very interested in my grandfather's fruit orchard. And I'm so glad I got to focus on that for my graduate education. And I get mm-hmm. to use all of our experiences from that. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. I, I didn't know that about you on in the camellias. I, I used to be really good at identifying varieties, and I still am fairly decent at it. But I'm, I do miss being in the camellia show circuit, being able to... Uh-huh. see them all the time and ID a little bit better. Yeah. So now, instead, I'm IDing pecans a lot, <laughs> which is a fun thing. I'm still working on collecting samples, which if anyone hears this and has orchards where they know exactly what they have, please reach out to me because I'm always looking for more samples to add to the identification collection mm-hmm. so I can help those out, especially those who are revitalizing old orchards. Mm-hmm. They'll send me samples and ID them. And just to go down a little rabbit hole go there, it. it's real interesting. So I know you've seen the pecan boards for identification. I have. Those are very useful, mm-hmm. but I find they're not the best way to identify pecan varieties. Okay. It's actually better to have jars full of samples because... When you say samples, though, what do you mean? Like, I, for Elliot, which uh-huh. is our most common one, mm-hmm. I have actually several jars full of that. And the reason why is different trees may be a tad bit different. So I got a, a conglomeration of Elliot samples, and I sorted them by size. Mm-hmm. And where that turns out to be useful is for different management strategies. So someone who is going to fertilize intensely, irrigate, or spray are going to have nice size Elliot. Now a homeowner tree of Elliot, especially if it's in a poor location, mm-hmm. those are not going to be typical. So it's I, I actually I like it. to have two different jars where this is my high input variety, this is my low input of the same one. And I wasn't sure when I was creating it, but it's proven to be useful where I went to, in an orchard setting to help identify an aban- some abandoned cultivars and they're like, well, we're not certain. We don't think this is Elliot. And I was able to say, no, that that is an Elliot. It's just not a very happy Elliot. Well, that's fascinating. <laughs> I'm glad you went down that rabbit hole because that's a lot of what um, I want to talk about today. And that's, you know, your work with pecans. Because I know, you know, you're being, I guess, the new Charlie. You know, uh, Louisiana has probably put you to work. It's a lot to live up to, especially <laughs> with my other time commitments. But, yes, pecans are something I... 
I'm definitely trying to widen my horizons on it. There's so much to know mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. And I find the best way is to actually get out with the growers mm-hmm. and have the conversations with them and find out what they're noticing and trying to tailor things for. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing I've discovered. There's no blanket treatment plan I can just recommend. It's always working with what that grower has in their orchard. One, what cultivar? Where are they in the state? What growing conditions? And tailoring a plan just for them. And I find I end up doing that more with pecans than I do with any other commodity. Because there's a lot of field crops we have that standardized thing. But I find we just even have a totally different demographic. Each person in pecans has a different story of why they got into pecans and how their orchard was planted. It's very personal. It it's really very is. Personal. And I feel like our recommendations for them have to have that personal touch as well. Yeah, I, re- I really love that answer because I think that applies to in, in just farming in general. I mean, we're all making different decisions based on, you know, our our resources or, or whatever our situation may be, soil types, whatever, yes. you know. So I, I love that answer. But um, so let's get kicked off. Um, let's talk about first, what is our pecan harvest going to look like this year? Are we going to have Christmas pecans? Because I know that's what everybody's looking forward to. We should have Christmas pecans. Now, depending where in the state you are, Mm -hmm. we had an interesting growing year. We stayed cool and wet. Mm -hmm. Now, that meant we had good spaced out rains where they set up a lot of pecans. The conversations I've had with growers, Elliot in particular... They said, I've never seen Elliot set this much pecans. Or, and, and I've heard that on others. Now, that becomes tricky if you don't go through and thin, which most of our producers don't. I've never heard of that, so explain that to me. So there's some varieties. It's not as common in our state, but in Georgia it's very common. There's some varieties that are very popular there that consistently overset. And you have to actually go through and shake the trees fairly early to make certain they don't overset. Because mm-hmm. if they do, they have no way to fill out those pecans. They'll come out poor quality. Kind of like thin and peach trees or yes, whatever. Yes, exactly. You. And it's not really a popular practice in pecan. Mm-hmm. And I generally recommend varieties where you don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. But this year, some most vari- a lot of varieties did that that typically won't. Now, most of it, our issue got to be with Elliot. Elliot can normally fill those out, not too bad. We continued to get the spaced rains, especially those that did not spray any fungicide or have no treatment plan for that. Mm-hmm. We got an early establishment of scab, and those consistent rains kept made it where, even though they set a lot of pecans, they started to fill out. We had a late season heavy losses especially with candy, which used to be a scab-resistant variety in our area, and it really has not maintained that scab resistance. So I've gotten a lot of questions this year of why did my candy not make any? And ultimately, it's not scab-resistant anymore, and it's one that I'm kind of rotating out of our recommended recommended list. That's everyone's favorite. Uh, that's 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 also a question I've gotten a lot of. Is why is my candy not? 
I haven't made candies in three or four years. What's mm. what's happening? And I noticed even last year uh-huh. we had issues with it's it's pretty much a scab susceptible variety. Can you talk about scab for a second, just shortly? What is scab and, and so what does it look like? Scab is a fungal disorder, mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't notice it at first because what you're going to see is black spots on the leaves, mm-hmm. and you'll see that and say it's not that bad. And leaves can get resistant to it as they harden off. Mm -hmm. Uh, that does kind of tie into when it's effective to treat for scab though you may actually want to do a few if you are spraying a few applications early before the leaves harden off Mm -hmm. because they're more susceptible before they have lignified isn't quite the right word for a leaf it would be for a woody tissue and woody tissue is sensitive to it before that lignification or hardening off process but once the leaf reaches a certain maturity it's not as susceptible to scab it still Mm -hmm. will get it but young especially when they're just emerging are very susceptible to scab now unfortunately pecan shucks are pretty much susceptible to it throughout the whole growing process of it and i will say normally it there can be a budget issue for our pecan producers when they're going to spray for scab. And I would focus on early season, but then I would also turn around and do a tad bit of late season. Preferably, mm-hmm. we have a dry spell at some point, and we're able to work around that. And get, So that's one thing. I don't set, oh, spray every two weeks. I'm very much in favor of scouting your pecan orchard and spraying as needed Mm -hmm. just to make best use of chemicals and just save some resources for us Mm -hmm. on that end just i find especially this year our pecan price should be better but last year if you were to have sprayed every two weeks it would have been hard to get your economic return with the price pecans were at Mm -hmm. So so we're going to have Christmas pecans this year. Oh, yes, definitely. I think so, but probably not from candy (laughs) or Sumner. Elliot still produced and And that's a bigger pecan, is that right? I find Elliot to be a bigger pecan than candy and Mm -hmm. a little bit better filled. Mm -hmm. So most people with Elliot should get some. Now, it did Elliot's, especially in the New Roads area, and it's slowly moving up and across the state, they are prone to early defoliation. And what is happening with that is that they are susceptible to a series of still fungal disorders late season. I kind of just group it together and say anthracnose, different complexes, but there's all types of things they're susceptible to. And if one has not been treated with a fungicide for the whole season, it is going to be more prone to losing its leaves. And it will still generally have enough carbohydrate reserves to follow through and fill out that crop. Mm -hmm. But if that starts to be a consistent every year, it's defoliating early, you're going to have other health issues with that tree. It's going to decline in vigor, set less crop, and you just see a decline and it may randomly die to other factors. Another thing to consider with that is the way, so even though the anthracnose complexes and scab are both fungal, different fungicides have different efficacies for their treatment and that anthracnose late season fungal complexes need a different mode of action so what happens is a lot of times people will start early with their expensive fungicides and then rotate to more budget friendly ones 
like tins, organotins, very common in pecan production. And organotins, unfortunately, and also at last, have low efficacy against that late season anthracnose and other disorders. So it would actually be better to reverse those. Okay. So use your organotins early. Uh, but the good news is most group 3 plus 11 fungicides will control those late season and prevent that. Not everybody needs to worry about that. Uh, I do believe we pretty much are in two different production regions in our state. We have our southern region, which probably the majority of the production would be in the New Roads area, and we have our northern production mm -hmm. region, which I would say is about Alexandria up. Okay. And I would say our northern region doesn't need as intense disease management and can rely a little bit more heavily on the scouting and probably can space out as opposed to our coastal production region has much higher humidity and is going to struggle a lot more with disease complexes to the point where almost for homeowner pecan trees, there's a lot of varieties I, I wouldn't recommend in the southern part of the state that might still be successful in the northern well, part. Well, let's, let's talk about that some. Um, transitioning into the homeowners, um, we get a lot of questions. And and if and we were just talking about varieties. So if, if I was a homeowner and I wanted to plant, you know, three or four trees, what would you recommend? So, and I'm glad you said three uh -huh. or four trees. Uh -huh. Because another thing to consider is that pecans do need to be cross-pollinated. Okay. They are not really successful if you only plant one mass planting. An example of that, Elliot is probably our gold standard variety, mm -hmm. both for commercially and for homeowner systems. And if there's been a few situations where I've had a mass planting of Elliot because people really like that variety. Mm -hmm. And what will happen is the outside border of it will make pecans. As you go a little further in, you have some pecans, dead center of the orchard, none. So you are going to need to space some pollinators out. And another thing I say for a homeowner system is don't count on your neighbor's tree being a pollinator because you can't control when that neighbor's going to cut down that tree, a storm come. So there are often calls where I'll get where someone's pecan tree will have been fruitful and it turns out their neighbor ended up having to cut down a pecan tree and they lost their pollinator mm -hmm. and are no longer making pecans. What about spacing? How, how far? Oh, that's a very good question. And I, I think that's something to be considered on your management strategy. Mm -hmm. A lot of the literature, and I rely heavily on UGA, uh, mm -hmm. University of Georgia, for their pecan And I actually, so the listeners know, we have, we have the Southeastern Pecan Growers Handbook out. I pulled that out so I could... That's a great publication yeah. from the University of Georgia. And if you're going to be a pecan producer in mm -hmm. the state, it is definitely worth it for I, you to invest in it's that. It's a good book. It was, wasn't it was very expensive, and it's got a lot of information in it. So, But spacing, my number one thing when I visit with a lot of pecan producers mm -hmm. is they say, I wish I would have spaced my trees further apart. What happens is if your trees are too close together... A good rule of if you go out at noon, sunlight should be hitting about 50% of your canopy on the ground. If it is not, all you're increasing the amount you need to spray because you're trapping air, trapping humidity, trapping pathogens, and you're also not getting the good sunlight to set good growth, good pecan fill, and that type of thing. So I would recommend... And that's another, talking about personalized practices, I often tell people, well, how many swaths can your lawnmower make? 
because generally though my spacing I would say that I tend to go by the most is 50 by 50 or 70 by 70 probably 60 by 60 is a good compromise mm -hmm. 70 by 70 is only about nine trees per acre that's kind of hard for some people to want to plant mm -hmm. the nice part about that is you'll never have to cut down a tree in your lifetime Mm -hmm. which gets to be the difficult part. If you go closer than 50 by 50, which is a good compromise, that's about 17 trees an acre, eventually you're going to have to cut some trees down. So I would say about that 30-year mark, you might have to cut some down if you were to go mm -hmm. that standard kind of in between 40 and by 30 mm -hmm. or something like that. And I find... We get so attached to our pecan trees that the people who plant at that high intensity setting don't want to cut them down. And people forget that one reason that high intensity practice was recommended, also our varieties, we use different varieties. Okay. For a precocious variety, you could space in your precocious varieties, and that's a fancy word for saying ones that would come into production early. Okay. And that would be what you would thin out to eventually give you the mature spacing. Well. It turns out with Elliot being, Elliot is like almost the opposite of a precocious variety. If you're not maintaining it with fertilizer and all that, it can take almost 10 years to come into production. I will say if you're irrigating, fertilizing, I have seen them in production much earlier, even at the five-year mark. If, you're, if I was to give a general, and I know that's horrible to say because I know, so if I was going to give someone a recommendation on fertilizing pecan trees in general, what for homeowners... For homeowners, I always ask, when was the last time you got pecans mm -hmm. from your tree okay. to determine? Them. And I ask them, like we were talking about the symptoms for scab. Have mm -hmm. they seen the black spots on the leaves? Mm -hmm. Are the husk getting mm -hmm. a lot of the black spots? Because to be honest, if you have a scab-susceptible variety at your home, it's not worth it to fertilize. Mm -hmm. Unless you just enjoy the tree as a landscape tree. So I, I try to eliminate those to determine if it's worth it. If it's giving you pecans, or it has in the past few years, then it may be worth it. I think a good general-use fertilizer, mm -hmm. and this sounds terrible, I'll say, well, what can you get for cheap? So what can you get that's cost effective? Because to be honest, a large mature tree, you could put a 50 pound sack on easily, if not more than that. Wow. So you want it to be cost effective. Now, another thing people don't consider with pecan trees though, is that tree's been there a long time. And they can't go, they, if they're having a micronutrient deficiency, they can't say, well, I'm gonna move over here. Now they can grow their roots, I do recommend people to do foliar samples, mm -hmm. too, for their pecan trees, especially an older one, to find out what your micronutrient level will How be. How do you take, when When do I need to pull those if I'm going to That would do be that? between July 7th and August 7th. Okay. And the reason that window exists is because that's when there's going to be the most free-floating nutrients there. Mm -hmm. If you really were to take it before that or after that, that would be where they're compartmentalizing nutrients elsewhere, and it would probably tell you to over-apply. Okay. So I also like to do a foliar test because it gives us a more accurate assessment of what our nitrogen is. Mm -hmm. And another thing about pecans, they're a neat oddity of a tree in that they have no root hairs. So what that means is they have a lot less root system available. So there can be a disconnect in highly managed orchards, typically, between what's available in the soil and what's available 
in the plan. So I do like to look at that in a commercial setting. In a homeowner setting, probably not as critical. And depending on what your budget is, we could even base it purely off of a soil test mm -hmm. just to get an idea. Mm -hmm. But one thing, I, the main reason I brought up micronutrients is boron. Now, you don't need to go crazy with boron, but have you seen the situation where it's often called black kernel melody? Oh, yeah. Where yeah. The, it's mm -hmm. not, essentially the, most, the speculated cause for that is when a stink bug gets in. If it has the adequate boron levels, it can compartmentalize and it'll be just a black spot. Okay. If not, it can't kind of compartmentalize the introduction there and that whole kernel might turn black. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not the only thing that does cause black kernels, but it is a contributing factor. And if you hit it with boron, it can help. Now, on a homeowner level, probably one of the easiest sources of boron you can get is in the laundry detergent aisle, 20 mule team borax. And... Uh, you're not going to want to put the whole box out there. That's a lot of it. You could probably put a handful and then use the rest for your laundry additive, <laughs> depending on how many trees you have. And it's not, I, I'm not going to claim it's a silver bullet, but I have had homeowners where I've recommended that and they notice a reduction in black kernel malady and increase of uh, just general pecan health. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, and I'm, I've gone in a complete circle, and we really didn't answer the varieties I would recommend. Yes, let's for go back to that. Sorry. And we've talked a lot about Elliot, and Elliot is still probably the number one recommendation. But you also need something to pollinate that Elliot. Desirable was traditionally recommended as a pollinator, but that's going to be a sacrificial pollinator now because Desirable is so susceptible to pecan scab at a homeowner level. And even many commercial levels, it's never going to make a pecan for you okay. because it's so sensitive to scab. Gafford has a nice pollination window. That is a low input variety that was selective out of the Auburn program that will pollinate your Elliot. Amling will as well. It's a bit difficult to find. And Macmillan isn't going to pollinate your Elliot, but it, I, I've seen nice positive trends. So... For the Elliott, Gafford, and Macmillan, there's an orchard in New Roads. I like to check every year. Um, a good friend of mine has an orchard down there, and he, he's just not able to spray at all. It's right there on the Mississippi River, mm -hmm. and it's too wet for him to even get in for several months. I'm sure his seepage water was... Ex exactly. But he has trialed a lot of these varieties, and he consistently gets production off of his Elliott and Macmillan in that setting. Uh, Gafford, he's not as crazy about because it alternate bears. Is he the one that does the grafting? It is. It's I've Mr. been to his school. So it's Mr. Hillary Langlois That's in it. that area. Mm -hmm. So okay. uh, he's he also I was gonna I hesitate to say much about it, but he has a very promising variety that to me I think might eventually be on par with Elliot. Now the actual pecan quality isn't quite there. But it makes pecans every year, and I think it would be an, a lovely homeowner tree. Okay. The reason producers are not, maybe not as excited about it is the kernel can occasionally be a bit dark. But to me, one think of reasons why a kernel might be dark. Generally, high oil content. Okay. So generally, a darker one's going to have... Would a, that make it more delicious? Or? Yes, exactly. Now, you do have to be careful. Pecans with a high oil content, which Elliot does have as well, tend to go rancid more readily. 
Okay. So the best way to prevent that is to store your pecans properly in a refrigerator or a freezer. Mm-hmm. So I've actually had some pecans in my freezer for several years Us now too. just to in that's how they maintain their freshness. And they're they're great. As soon as you pull them out, let them yes. warm up and you can eat them. They're good. They are. So I do recommend that on a homeowner level if you have room in your freezer, keep them in there and you will definitely prevent them from going rancid which are high oil content natives which really do i kind of prefer a lot of those as well as far as flavor and i use most of my pecans for making candy so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i actually prefer a smaller one because a large variety like a desirable i have to sit there and split them in half because i prefer them to be bite-sized well that's why the candies were so popular and i think that's where a lot of my questions this this year have come from or why why are my candies not making and and, and that is just, they, unfortunately, and that really goes to show sometimes that disease resistance can be a fragile thing. And as those disease complexes overcome those resistances there, there's some varieties that hold up, which Elliot is actually an older variety than candy, but it has just maintained its resistance much longer. Yeah, it's actually the story of that when it, if I recall correctly, was ultimately from a homeowner in Florida. Okay. Uh, if So that was the origin of that in the early 1900s. So it has held up. Most of the other varieties from that time period have not, unfortunately. And for me, with our new allocation of resources, I wish I had time to l- look into and do pecan breeding, that type of thing. The main thing I do is look for improved natives that are already out there, like the Woodman variety that I hope will eventually pay off. That is a variety that a local producer was able to identify, and it is holding up, holding its leaves, very scab resistance. And I'm always on the lookout for a variety like that mm-hmm. and so that we can be adding new cultivars to our system in case one day something happens to Elliot and that disease resistance is overcome. Mm-hmm. Or say that early defoliation becomes such an issue where it's no longer an ideal homeowner tree. Mm-hmm. want to have some in the pipeline for that. And Auburn really did a good job for that. Dr. Goff there really. Uh, now, sometimes... It, there's a lot, he was at, trialed a lot of varieties, and there's only a handful of them that have really held up and ha- are viable for a commercial setting. Now, a lot of what he trialed is viable for a homeowner setting, mm-hmm. but for some of them end up turning out to even have commercial viability. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to keep up with that and be on the lookout for. In Louisiana, we have such a center of diversity for native trees that we can find so many of those yeah. out there. Well, um, I think that's a good lead into my next question is the age of a pecan tree. Um, I know, it, at least where I'm at, when you drive to my house, it used to be an old orchard there, and it was a very large orchard. And there's a lot of trees that are still there from that old orchard, and we're talking 100-year-old trees. So from a home homeowner standpoint, you know, can pecan stop? Does age affect, you know, pecan production? Absolutely. And I know you've done site visits in that area. Mm-hmm. And I find people consistently underestimate the age of their trees. What are some age ranges you've been given when people oh estimate the age of that yeah. tree? Yeah, my grandfather planted this tree and, you know, but... 
you know, Mom, he's not here anymore. So, yeah, but they'll still tell you, and it's only thirty years old. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I find, for some reason, it's almost the opposite. Any other thing, people overestimate the age a lot of times. But with their pecan trees, they'll call and tell me, "Well, it's only thirty years old." And I'll finally get in contact with someone else, and they'll say, oh, no, that's 60 to 50 years old. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm 36, (laughs) so that goes by pretty quick, I would think. (laughs) So what happens is people underestimate how old their trees are. And even in a commercial setting, I would say our prime production in pecans are probably between that 20 to 30 to about 80 age range. But... There's that kind of bell curve where it's going to be more productive Mm -hmm. in the center. And a lot of it depends on what cultivar. The older it gets, you're going to have a decline in overall tree vigor just to accumulation of injuries due to weather, insects, but also the nutrient demand on such a large tree. And especially for a homeowner, there becomes an, an economic question is what it turns into. It may be so behind on its nutrients that you may have to put invest so much money into it that you could buy a lot of pecans for the amount of fertilizer you'd have to throw into it with no guarantee that you're going to get pecans after that fertilizer input. That's, that's farming, If yeah. it turns out to be a disease-susceptible uh, cultivar. Mm-hmm. So there, it really does turn into... Uh, there's some situations where I will go to an orchard on a commercial setting or even on a homeowner and say it's time to start revitalizing and I'm not going to tell you you need to cut everything down but as you need to remove trees you may want to start replacing with newer selections either updated varieties that are more resistant or even you if you already have resistant variety it's just time to refresh because the tree is just old mm-hmm. and needs that new thing and that bring going into thinning uh, now that's the number one thing I end up needing to recommend for pecan orchards. And there's different strategies to that. Combining those two together is what I like to do. I say, go through and always have a map of your orchard. Okay. It makes it very useful if I need to come in and I can. you can trace trends. And you'll find by mapping it out, you can say, well, I consistently have an issue on this part of the orchard. But also keeping an idea of where your damaged trees are so you can actually plan your pruning. So collecting data, essentially yeah. what you mean by yes. mapping, yeah. Because ultimately, if we were to say at the upper end of the tree spectrum of mm-hmm. how many you should have per acre, mm-hmm. it turns out to be only four or so. Okay. So are you going to have those in a nice square by the time you're thinning to that? Probably not, mm-hmm. but so you kind of thin out your old, da- your damaged trees, the ones that have lost large leaders and have rot in them, because and that's ultimately what I was getting at with the map and just kind of revitalizing trees. You may find, well, based off of how I envision this being, I still will need a tree in this place, so you might plant one here, but there's some producers I say, just don't replace the trees as you take them out because they will benefit from that new increase of sunlight and airflow. Right. Well, um, and we've talked about, we've kind of hit it a little bit in our conversation, but as a homeowner, um, does it pay to to treat to have my tree sprayed professionally? As far as for insects and disease, right. the answer is more than likely no. Mm-hmm. And I get a lot of questions, though, about can I use a systemic insecticide or fungicide? And the 
issue with that gets to be the distribution within a tree system. A more herbaceous plant or a smaller plant, yes, it might work. Mm -hmm. And even small pecan trees, there's cases where if you're having or issues with insects attacking them, an imidacloprid drench might work. But for a large tree, it's just not going to move it uniformly across. So ultimately, the answer for that is probably no. Because we, we, I know a few agents that trialed something with walnut caterpillar, which can defoliate a tree very quickly. And they put out a systemic insecticide, and the bottom parts of the tree ended up being okay, but the top parts where it couldn't move to, it did not have an effect. So it'll, it'll tell on itself. It'll show what and, and the issue gets to be, too, is it labeled for said use? What residuals are you going to have? Mm-hmm. We, we know not to use our chemicals off-label because mm-hmm. our protections aren't there anymore. Exactly. For your health or yeah. just in general. Yeah, yeah. Well, what about webworms? That's another question I get asked. So, you know, the in the end of the limb, you have all the webworms. If you can reach them, removal is great. Okay. In a large tree, it's going to become very difficult right. to control. And there are some large trees that have severe infestations, but normally at a homeowner level, there's not much you can do. Mm-hmm. I, I joke with some people, you can put a bird feeder out there and try to attract <laughs> some natural predators. That's a good idea, actually, when uh, you think about it. Yes, but um, the birds, the only problem with that is the birds are going to like your bird feed much better than the caterpillars. So it may work, it may not. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, well, I love that. Well, that's really and truly, that's all the questions I have for you. Um, we appreciate you coming and driving to Vidalia this morning for our podcast, and you're welcome anytime. If anybody has any questions for you, where can they reach you? They can reach me through the Ag Center. Um, I'm the only Michael Palazzola <laughs> who works for LSU, so if you just Google Michael Palazzola in LSU, it should direct you to me, and you can send me an email. And I work great through that, especially if you can send me pictures. That makes diagnosis so much easier. Mm-hmm. But also there should be a phone number you can reach me to on there as well. Yeah, um, and you are located at Dean Lee, is that correct? I am in the Alexandria area. Okay, well, um, again, thank you so much for joining us today, and you're welcome anytime. All right. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.